You are listening to UnChristian, a three-week teaching series from Jubilee Church. This series looks at some of what non-Christians think of Christians and the intensity with which they hold these views in the hopes of better equipping Christians to be able to express the love of Christ to our generation. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We do a couple kind of series here. We, we do a, a verse-by-verse, and um, we, we do topical, and um, we, we do verse-by-verse. So we just got done doing Colossians, and we're getting ready to do a, a series in, in Acts. And we do one of the big reasons for doing the a verse-by-verse are going through a book of the Bible because it, it kind of forces you to, to, to di- deal with difficult subjects. Um, but actually in this, t- <laughs> this topical series, we're, we're going to deal with a, a very difficult subject today. In fact, I was thinking all week, why, oh why, oh why um, did you do this to yourself? And I, mean, I actually chose to talk about this. And, it, and just to kind of catch you up, if this is your first time, uh, we're, we're, we're going to do this series called Unchristian. And uh, this is a book that written um, about in 2007. Um, uh, a guy, you guys might remember, Greg Nelson, he, he kind of sh- first showed me the book. I see Sylvia over there, which is awesome. The baby yet? Uh, still in there, okay. I couldn't see, and I'm not going to make that. I'm going to say a lot of dumb things today, potentially, and I didn't want that to be one of them. And so... Um, Anyway, this book is, a, is about these seven uh, views of, or these, these, these views of uh, those who are outside the church, what they really think about people inside the ch- church. If you haven't read the book, uh, it's not good. They're, they're not good perspectives. And we're, we're going to take the top three over the, these three weeks. And uh, so last week we talked about how uh, 85% of those outside the church think those inside the church are hypocritical next week. It's another high percentage, 87, 88% of those outside the church think people are, are judgmental. And today, um, we're, we're going to take a look at uh, the fact that the 91% of those outside the church uh, think that those inside the church are against homosexuals. Uh, not just against homosexuality, but against uh, the, the people themselves. And um, I, I want to kind of give a few disclaimers uh, here in the beginning. Um, the, the, the chances of... M- me offending several groups of people are very high. Um, I mean, on both, on any side of what you're on, I mean, just there's just some things that I think we'll say that might be, might offend you. So just, uh, I want you to not put any words in my mouth. So if I say something, don't put words there. Don't assume something. Don't take something I say and take it out there. Just kind of give me a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I hope you can kind of hear my heart on this. Uh, I think the second thing is I want us all to behave. Um, we're going to do a Q&A today. Uh, and you can text, in fact, we have the, if you throw that up on the screen, you can text in questions if you're here in this city location. Uh, those in our Washington um, and Lake locations will just get the questions that come out of uh, this location. But if you're in this location, uh, you can text questions in, and we're going to behave, all right? We're going to be nice. Uh, if anybody thinks I'm being too light and has something to say or shout, you will be lovingly, uh, by that large gentleman over there, he'll be lovingly escorted out. If you think I'm being too uh, harsh and you want to shout something out, um, same thing. So uh, the other thing is, is the angle that I'm coming at here is that I'm a pastor uh, wanting to address uh, people who go to this church and their friends. Uh, uh, this here today and in all of our location is made up 
of people who are members, or regular attenders of this church, and then some of you are friends of them, or maybe you, you, know, you just come, you Googled us or whatever and came, but, but you know, you're friends of ours. Uh, I'm not dressing society as a whole. Uh, this is not, uh, I'm not you know, some speaker at Wash U. Uh, I'm not going to come at it at that level. I'm not going to come at it at the scholarly level. I'm not going to try to persuade uh, a staunch skeptic on either side of the issue, wherever you, you end up falling. So I, this, this, this issue is too big, and so I may not answer all your questions, or, or you may not be satisfied with what I have to say. But what I'm trying to do is, is as a pastor, uh, I'm wanting to um, uh, shepherd this group. I'm wanting to love this group. I'm wanting to help this group. I'm wanting to bring uh, correction and rebuke, if need be, as well as encouragement and, and all of that. So that, that's primarily um, uh, who I'm talking to. So I, I may not answer all your questions. And again, if, if I don't, uh, don't, again, don't assume that, but it'd be awesome if you could just uh, maybe ask me at some other point or ask another elder, hey, could you clarify that? You said this, and, but maybe, you know, I wasn't quite sure what you said. And, and I would love to have that kind of, of dialogue. This is, even though this is one message, there'll be, uh, hopefully this is a continuing conversation. Um, so with all that said, aren't you excited? All right, Matthew 7. Matthew 7, nervous laughter. Matthew 7, okay, so like I said, we're gonna, I'm going to come at it from a few, different, a few different angles, and mainly it's going to be like a pastoral angle, okay? I'm not a scholar, I'm not a psychologist, I'm I just coming at it, and I think the more um, I look at this issue, um, I think... I won't use the word confused because that's not the right word, but like the more like, wow, there, there's a lot here and a lot that I, 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 I thought I understood, but I don't understand. And uh, some ways that even especially heart things that I need to change and, and, and repent of and think differently about. Um, and, and, and so I, I've, I've probably not read up or studied on an issue uh, in, in preparing for a message unlike this one, but yet I probably feel the most unprepared. Uh, I mean, I've got some stuff here, but I don't even know if we'll talk about that. So we'll just, um, I, I have some things that, I, that are in my heart I want to share. So Matthew 7, I'm going to start with kind of getting our, get our hearts and minds right about this. Uh, and, and I want us to hear some things as the church. So this is for the church. If you're not a part of a church, if you're not a believer, I'm so glad that you're here. But you can kind of listen in on what I have to say here. But this is for uh, the church. It says, judge not that you, will, uh, that you be not judged. For with this judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Uh, basically saying, hey, look, I just want you to know something. If you go out and judge others... Uh, one of these days, I'm going to take that criteria and I'm going to turn it on you. And, and that is the criteria to which you be judged. So I just want you to know that before you, before you start pronouncing judgment on others, I just want you to know that's going to come back to you like a boomerang at some point. So just keep that in mind, Jesus says. And then he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how could you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own uh, you hypocrite, first take out the log of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Um, in the third century, uh, during the Alexandrian plague, which is this massive plague that, that hit society uh, back in, the, in, in that Roman uh, 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 empire, uh, many, many people died. 
And what, what happened was that Christians risked their lives to help these people. And so they, they were caring for the sick and they took this posture of grace and we're going to go in the we're going to come in and help you and you may die, but you're not going to die alone. We're, we're going to absorb that. And so uh, the church embodied this gospel message and I'm willing to die for you, that I love you so much, even though I don't know you, even though that you believe differently than me, even though you do other things, you have different philosophies of thought, I am going to come to you and I'm willing to die for you. And uh, this message was heard loudly and it was never forgotten. In the 1980s, uh, this AIDS epidemic uh, hit the gay community and otherwise healthy men were dying and no one really knew why. And the only, th- only link seemed to be that it was connected to their sexuality. And so the church, again, had this opportunity to speak grace, but instead of speaking grace, they spewed venom. And rather than uh, showing compassion, we self-righteously pronounced and proclaimed the judgment of God. And this message, like the first century, came loud and clear and was not forgotten. And so the, the, the Christian mantra is that, uh, uh, love the sinner, but hate the sin, that God shows mercy, that God died for us, that we were all sinful, uh, we've all fallen short, and, and Jesus in his grace died for us. Uh, but what happened is that uh, homosexuals, those who are gay, those who are lesbian, heard and saw in these big white signs that God hates fags. God hates homosexuals. And that message was here. And so uh, one of the things I want to say today is that we have to understand that the church um, has a, a log in her eye. And I, I want to, again, just remind us how we got to this because Jesus says, you hypocrite, why, could you, why do you talk about a speck in someone else's eye when you have a log in your own? So last week we talked about how the, there's this history uh, in America, a rich history of revivals that are really kind of amazing. Like uh, we talked about the, the first, the second, the third, and the fourth great awakening that led to massive individual heart transformation that led to massive societal transformation that peaked in the 1950s to where the majority of Americans were Christian. And so now laws begin to be shaped by uh, this Judeo-Christian ethic. And there was an incentive for you to claim that you were a Christian. Because again, everybody in the world of all time wants to be known as a good person. And one of the ways that you could be a good person back then is you claim to be a Christian. So what ended up happening though is that the 60s and 70s roll along and people push back on this ethic. And then what Christians do, they didn't go back to the gospel. We didn't go back there, but we went to morality. We said, hey, look, if you do bad behaviors, bad people go to hell and good people go to heaven. So if you want to do these bad things, watching rated R movies, drinking beer, uh, whatever, you, 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 you don't want, and so th- th- this message that the church put out became about morality, about, about this, is, this is who God loves and this is who God doesn't. And so the message got uh, uh, completely confused and that rolled in the 80s. And so the church had been living on uh, this uh, external morality, this, you know, uh, in terms of defining Christianity, and we talked about this last week, to where when this behavior came about in, in the 80s, it became front and center, homosexuality, we, we went that way. We didn't go back to the gospel, we went back to, to work. So I just want to be honest, or clear here, that, 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 that what Christianity does at its core, what the gospel does in transforming a heart, and you becoming like Jesus, does not mean that you become a self-righteous bigot. 
That's not what the gospel produces. But, what, but that is what gets produced anytime you make morality, that anytime you make what you do good and bad as the standard and not the gospel. And that's what happens. And so, uh, even, uh, so, but we have to understand as a church that we have this plank in our eye. And that's something that you and I uh, need to own, even if you're not the one holding up the sign. I mean, it, what happens, I don't know what, where they get these people on CNN and Fox, but they get the kind of the crazy fringe idiots. That, and, then, and then I'm like, no, like that's not me. But the reality is it's not, it's not even just that, okay, hey, I don't say that kind of stuff. But here's where, I, I, where my heart got messed up here recently is that I've realized that I, I'm, even though I'm not saying that this, you know, that th- this kind of overtly um, prejudicial and, and um, statements full of bigotry, is that am, am, I, am I showing any kind of empathy, love, and compassion at the same time? Or am I just woefully silent? And I think the church has been um, woefully uh, silent and only speaks up when it's time to, to vote. And so what breaks my heart is like this beautiful gospel has been boiled down to, you know, a soundbite on the six o'clock news. And I just, no, it's got to be more than that because, because the, the, way that, the way of Jesus is that, that he taught us to, to love and to respect and to serve and to die uh, for, for everyone, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of politics, regardless of sexual orientation, that, that the command to love and to show compassion is there. And we are to be bridges from people to Jesus and not deterrence. And so somewhere we have to understand that we've lost the plot, that we've lost the message. And, and I realize this doesn't happen over time. You know, there's a saying that, that the reason why you're living in the shade today is because someone many years ago planted a tree. And so we're, we're living in that environment, and there's some things that we have to own that environment before we, can, um, before we can make any change. So what do I mean there's a log in our eye? Well, let me just tell you some stats that came out of this book. Uh, first of all, is, it, says, it says 91% of born-again Christians believe that homosexuality is a sin, but only 39% believe that divorce for preferential reasons is a sin. So, so there's, a standard, there's a double standard. There's, there is, hey, this is a sin. I believe uh, the majority of Christians believe this is a sin, but uh, there's a, a minority that believe this other thing that the Bible equally speaks out against in the same kind of world is also sin. And uh, I was in a chat room. Uh, just, I was researching some stuff. Um, that sounded bad. This is one of those things that, like, <laughs> you're just going to have to, like, show me some grace here. So anyway... This guy, this guy had this to say, because uh, I, I, wanted, I wanted to kind of hear what people, some, some thoughts and what people had to say. Uh, he said, I still see people on here talking about how homosexuals shouldn't be allowed to get legally married because the Bible says homosexuality is a sin. Okay, for the sake of argument and to play devil's advocate, let's say you're correct and the Bible does come out and say that homosexuality is a sin. My question is, so what? Why should that automatically disqualify homosexuals from legally getting married? According to the Bible, getting divorced and remarried is equal to adultery, and yet people do it all the time. The divorce rate for heterosexuals is approximately 50% in first marriages. That percentage percentages goes up significantly for every marriage after the first. If you people are trying to deny homosexuals the, 
the rights they are entitled to simply because of what it says in your Bibles about homosexuality being a sin, then why aren't you also expending as much energy protesting against a high divorce rate and pushing as strenuously for divorce reform as you are trying to keep homosexuals from getting married? That's actually a really good point. This is one reason why you aren't taken seriously when you start talking about the Bible and homosexuality. You're not being consistent in your application of the Bible. According to your own Bible, getting divorced and remarried is as same as committing adultery, which, by the way, is one of the Ten Commandments. You see, there's this, there's this hypocrisy and there's this standard of like, this is, this is what's wrong and this is... This is somehow, this, this is a really bad sin, and this is somehow a sin that we can live with. Jesus says, don't try to point at somebody's speck in their eye when you've got a log coming out of you. Now, the idea isn't, isn't just to go the opposite direction and not pursue righteousness. The, the idea is kind of dovetailed with last week, which is when he told the Pharisees, man, don't just worry about the outside of the cup. You've got to worry about the inside of the cup. He's saying that you need to be generous in your judgment of other people and you need to be strict and, and with veracity judge yourself, which is going to lead you to humble repentance and you're going to be very, very slow to cast judgment and you're going to be very, very eager to show love and compassion. Here's another one. It says, why are so many Christians quick to point out the, the sin of homosexuality and its connection to AIDS, but will gladly overlook sin of obesity, which is directly linked to heart disease and diabetes? See, what happens when you clean the outside and not the inside of the cup is you begin to develop this, ex- this external, this new system of what you can deal with and not deal with. And so you're, you feel good about yourself. You are righteous if you do these things but don't do these things. Now, we all do that. I mean, that's every human being. That's not, that's not just church folk. I mean, everybody does that. In, in the Eastern cultures, they, they value family, but forgiveness is preposterous. I mean, they're eye for an eye. In Western cultures, it's the opposite. It's, they're all for forgiveness, and let's love each other, let's, 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 let's sweep it under the rug, but you know, any kind of sexual purity is regressive. And so we all formulate these external behaviors that say we're right and, and, and we're wrong. And what, what we, we, can't get, we can't play that game, though. We can't get involved in that. I mean, because the question that will come up is, does, does God send you know, liars to hell? Does God send um, fornicators to hell? Fornication, by the way, just means sex before marriage. Um, does God send homosexuals to hell? Is, is that what God does? The way that you get a one-way ticket to hell is that you are self-righteous and you believe that you have no need for a savior. It, it doesn't matter where you've messed up in the past what matters is do you see that I need a savior I humbly need a savior I need something outside of me to save me I don't need money to save me I don't need a relationship to save me I'm not capable of saving me I need something outside of me to save me and and that is so very important according to their surveys the majority of Christians believe that sexual fantasies are morally acceptable Except that Jesus said that mere skin-on-skin contact isn't the issue. It's, it's the thoughts 
uh, in, in your mind, but what it, and, and this can go on and on here about the, the different things that some uh, evangelical Christians say, well, this is sin, but this is, this is okay. This is somehow morally acceptable. So what ends up happening is that we are, uh, there's a great amount of hypocrisy uh, in the church over this issue. We have this plank in our eye. 90% of evangelicals vote against same-sex marriage. 60% say that homosexual lifestyle is a problem facing America, but only 1% say they pray for someone who is gay or lesbian. 60% say this is a problem. 1%, 1% say that they pray for someone who's gay or lesbian. One-tenth of a percent use the word love in describing a solution to this problem that's facing America. <laughs> See, here, Jesus told this parable called the Good Samaritan, and in that parable, he was essentially saying, everybody is your neighbor. In my followers, they, anyone who comes across their path, whether Jew, Hindu, Muslim, Protestant, whether uh, male or female, whether brown, black, or white, whether gay or straight, whether Democrat or Republican, you love them, you die for them. And he's just as serious about you doing that than you abstaining from whatever you think is morally reprehensible. And so how do you address the plank in your eye? Well, you need to repent of your lack. I need to repent. This week, I need to repent of my lack of compassion toward um, other people. If I'm not willing to say I am, it's not only that I do other immoral acts, which I do, is, is the issue of, Am I fulfilling, am I, am I fulfilling righteous, am I fulfilling mercy, am I fulfilling compassion, am I fulfilling love? Paul said this, Paul says that I could speak of the tongue of men and of angels, but if I don't have love, I'm like a clanging cymbal. I'm just here to say, and I don't need to say this actually, is that in culture, we are, the church is on this issue like a clanging cymbal, not because that we don't, because we're not, we don't know what the truth is, it's because it lacks love. And, we, and before you, we take another step on this issue, and one of the biggest things I want to say to those who belong to Jubilee or any of those interested in Jubilee, I think we need to take stock in our lives, and we need to say, is there, a, is there a log I need to remove from my eye? Is there a log here? Is there a double standard? Am I okay with some sin, but just not another sin? Am, am I okay with, uh, as long as I don't do these things, I'm okay you know, it doesn't matter that I pursue comfort over God. It doesn't matter that I, um, you know, <clears throat> that I, um, I fail to love my neighbor as I love myself. These, these are ways that, that have caused us to be uh, seen as hypocritical uh, in society. So Jesus says, you're meant to be a light to the world, a salt to the earth. But if a salt loses its saltiness, what good is it except to be trampled on by men? And we are being trampled on by men. Now, I'm not interested in changing that just so we can set the record straight for Christianity because I don't really care about my reputation. I hope that at the end of the day that you really don't care about your reputation either. But what I do care about is I'm not here to set the record straight for Christianity, but I do want to be a Christian. I do want to do that. I do want to follow Jesus in this. I want to know what is true, and I want to know what he he's asking me to do. And we need to see that um, th- there there's a plank here, and we need to we need to address it. 
Um, the gospel is an equal opportunity offender um, because sin has fractured every human soul. And I hope that you see that. It will, it will help you to be humble about your own assessment of yourself, compassionate about your assessment of others, but yet totally confident in who Jesus is and who God is and his nature and character. If you waffle on the gospel, you'll either be self-righteous or you'll sway and fall away from what is true. Those are both very bad things. And I think there's probably not an issue in our culture other than this where that divide is going to happen. You have a choice today. You you can go over here to the self-righteous crowd or you can swing over here to, you know, what is really true anyway, crowd. Or you can say, I'm going to simultaneously believe the gospel. Because I believe if you, if, you can simult- if you can believe the gospel, you can simultaneously lead and be oozing with compassion and love. Yet, have a backbone and stand on the truth. And we'll have what it says in First Peter 2 where it says that they'll, they'll glorify your father because of your good deeds. They'll see that you're running out in the streets willing to die for those that you don't know and even disagree with. They'll see that and they'll, now they'll still hate what you believe. But they will, they will see your lives and know that, yeah, I didn't agree with them, but I cannot argue with their love and compassion. So what, what does the Bible say about Christianity? I, I think the Bible is, is clear on this issue um, from not just the Old Testament, but from Romans 1, from 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 9 through 11, 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 15, or just a couple of places Paul writes about those three places, where... I think it's clear that what the Bible says, that it says it's not what God intended, but what isn't clear is why he said it. Um, and I think it, this is where it, it splits for people because to, to, be, to be a Christian, to, to, to follow Jesus, or not to follow Jesus, to, to follow Jesus, you need faith in Jesus. To not follow Jesus, you need a lot of faith in yourself. So either, so either God is ultimate reality and knows all things and sees everything as it should be and is the creator, designer of the world, or somehow you are ultimate reality and you see things as they should be. And so you have to have faith in one or, in one or the other. So ultimately, I, I just want to say, to really believe what God says is, okay, why does he say this and why does he do this? Well, ultimately, you're going to have to have faith. You're going to have to believe uh, in the nature and character of God. God created the world, uh, and if you know the story, he created every, the world uh, and ev- everything as it should be. Everything was perfect. Everything was in rhythmic harmony. And everything that he created was, for, uh, t- was meant to roll up and worship in him. And what I mean by that is there is nothing in creation that was meant to terminate on us. So take food, for example. Food isn't just so that our stomachs get full and we don't die of starvation. That's not the end goal of food. 
It's not meant to terminate on us. It's meant to roll up in worship of God. So I eat food and I worship God. The Bible says in Romans 1, a failure for me to worship God in anything is, is, is suppressing the truth. So anything that comes my way is meant to lead to worship. So the relationships that I have are meant to lead to worship. Um, Sex is meant to lead to worship. It's not meant for me. In other words, it's meant for it to roll up into worship of God. Even our mission as a church, it isn't like, hey, look at what a great church we are. Look at all the good. No, no, that is meant not meant to be for us, but it's meant to roll up to worship of him. So all, God created all these things to flow into that, into that rhythm. But, but uh, and, and God just gave him one thing. He said, he said, don't eat of the tree. He didn't even say don't touch the tree. He didn't say don't play with the tree. Don't climb. I mean, you can climb up the tree. You can touch it. You can do whatever. Just don't eat from, ask him one thing. And he said, if you don't do this, you will surely die. Now, some of us think that's a rough punishment. Like, but there's not a government in the world that looks lightly on treason. Every, every government in the world has very strict laws against treason. Most of the case, it's death. Some cases, it may be life and imprisonment. But you don't get to, you don't get to say to a government, well, I don't really care what rules you come up with. I'm not going to follow them. We know that. We know that this is, but if we see that, so God created the world. And he, gave these rule, he gave these rules. And he says, if you, do the, if you eat of this tree, you will die. Well, they eat of the tree and they don't die. God doesn't come after them with a lightning bolt. He comes after them with grace and mercy. He comes after with them grace and mercy. And now he, and he comes and he clothes them. And there is a curse that comes. And that even in this curse, it was to remind them of who God is and who they are. So he cursed, uh, he cursed uh, the relationship. He cursed work. The gr- it would be hard to pay the bills. He cursed childbirth. You know, my wife, her first child, our first child, she was in labor for, for 19 hours, and she did it with no epidural. And it was, it was really hard for me. And uh, I, mean, I know it was hard for her, but it was really difficult for me. It was really stressful. And, uh, oh, man, I was, yeah, didn't get any sleep that night. And so um, now, like, the next one, the next child we have in the, uh, I mean, there's some complications in the, in the birth or whatever, but she, she taps out and she takes the uh, epidural like halfway through the process. And the third child, you know, she takes the epidural like at the beginning of the process. And, and we're like, if we ever have a fourth, as soon as she finds out she's pregnant, she's getting an epidural. And so it's just like, <laughs> that is like, okay, the curse of, is real. It's, okay, that's a part of what, what God put out there. And, uh, but even in that, he says there's going to be a redemptive uh, Savior, and over and over again, we have this picture of God in His grace and mercy, uh, wanting wanting to extend grace and mercy. I mean, He's not this old white meanie in the sky looking to like, you know, kill everyone's fun. He's not arbitrarily setting up these rules, but He's setting up these He's setting up these boundaries to say, "This is the way I created creation to be." Sin fractured that, sending it out of control, and. We ultimately have to trust, is God after our joy or is he, is he after our begrudging submission? He just wants, well, he obviously isn't after our begrudging submission because he doesn't force us to do anything. We all have free will. We can all choose to follow him or choose not to follow him. He gives us that choice. But what he wants to do, he wants to win our hearts. 
He wants us to see that he is a good, loving God. And so ultimately, this issue is an issue of, of faith. And that do you believe in the goodness and, and righteousness of, and holiness and, of God, or do you think he's, he's after your ultimate doom? And that was the original lie in the garden. The original lie of the garden is Satan comes to Eve and says, did God really say that you would die? I think God's holding out on you. I think he's holding something behind his back. I think if you do what I say, you'll have, you'll, you'll have more wisdom. You have more insight. You'll, you can be your own savior. And that is a lie he continues to tell over and over and over and over and again. God cannot be trusted. God cannot be trusted. And so if you, if, if we, if you don't come to con- a faith in God's nature and character, you're probably not going to make sense of any what he has to say. So, what, what should we do? What should we do? Well, um, let me do this. Because the issue, the issue always becomes about the question is, is what if God made me this way? So you just said, Brian, that God made everything perfect, but I I feel like God made me this way. I feel like God made others this way. He made some people this, he made some people um, heterosexual, he made some people homosexual, he made some people who do this and do that. And I, I think I have to go back to the fall in the sense that that there is, a, there is this sense to where we are. I, I don't know if there's a gauging, first of all. I don't, I mean, I, I have no idea. But if, if there is, I, I, I don't theologically have a problem with that. I don't have a problem if someone said that there are people who are literally born gay. Um, I think we are all orientated to um, want things that we shouldn't want. And I think that affects more than just one group of people. Um, most men are, there's a lot of men, you know, if you, I, I say this, it, I think if most men are being honest, that if they saw a really beautiful woman, there'd be a thought of, I want to be with that woman, I want to sleep with that woman. I think there's an orientation to want that. It, it affects some more than others. But just, and, and so there, there's this thought of like, well, if God made me to want that, why shouldn't I go after that? I think there are people who are, um, who are prone to anger. I think um, there is, I, we've experienced this at, at Jubilee. I mean, there's been people in the past who've had uh, big anger issues, and uh, they didn't want to be angry, but they just found themselves being angry all the time, angry with their spouses, angry at their kids. Um, elders actually had to interfere into that, got several phone calls late at night over that issue uh, through other people, through different people who've come to the church. And... There was a sense of hopelessness of, well, this is the way I am, and, it, and I can't change. And I, I can understand, and this is, this is something I thought a lot about this week, 
is what about someone who, okay, maybe someone is legitimately born this way. And maybe God doesn't change that. Maybe there's someone who, who, who is born with um, homosexual desires. Maybe there, there's a man who's, who desires, who, who has erotic desires for another man. And, but they want, to, they want to follow Jesus. They want to love Jesus. They want to obey Jesus. But God doesn't take that away. I think about Paul in 2 Corinthians. He said that, he said, there was this thorn in his flesh. There was this this thing that he said, God, he he says, I pleaded to the Lord three times for him to take this away from me. There are are, uh, homosexual people in this church that want to obey Jesus. First of all, I don't think it's sinful to have sinful desires. Excuse me, me check that. I don't, excuse me, I don't think it's sinful to have those desires. I don't think it's sinful that, that uh, I think what, what's sinful is what you do with those desires. I don't think it's sinful to want money. I don't think it's, but I do think it's sinful to overwant it and to make it your life. And I, I don't think it's sinful to eat food. I think the Bible points out about gluttony. There are things that, I don't think it's sinful to be, to be orientated to have homosexual desires. I, I don't question that. I think the fall was uh, fractured humanity. And, but, so what do you, well, Paul's, Paul's like, well, there's this thorn in my flesh and I asked God to take, and he didn't take it away from him. I think there, there are people here who may say, well, God's given me, I have these desires. I have these desires. And I'm asking God to take away from me, but God won't take him away, so what do I do? Do I give up? Well, Paul said, his grace was sufficient for me. I thought about single men and single women in particular who really want to be married, but aren't married. Nobody's knocking at their door. God, I really want to be married. What do I do with this desire? Maybe God will give them a husband, maybe God will give them a spouse, maybe he won't. There are desire. every single person, this is what I know about every single person, there's something in your life that you have a, a desire for that God has challenged and that God is saying, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you have that. And so the issue over, uh, the, the, the issue about what God accepts and doesn't accept Again, the gospel is an equal opportunity offender, and it will cut all of us at some place. There, there will, there will be, there will be heterosexuals who will who will encounter something that the the gospel demands that will say this is too hard. I mean, Jesus, he when he fed the five thousand, I mean, he was a hero, right? I mean, he like, I mean, this is like Oprah giving away car day. I mean, this is like a big day for him. And he gets out and he starts teaching. And every single one of them left. He said, this is too hard. Who can accept it? Look, there are going to be heterosexuals who will not accept what Jesus has to say. There'll be homosexuals who will not be able to accept what Jesus has to say. And the only reason why any of us would, would able 
to be able to accept anything is by his grace. It's not because we're more committed, that we're more moral, or we're more anything, because the reality is we're not. The only thing is, is will we see that I need a Savior and will I trust and rely on him? And what I, my passion for Jubilee, there's a lot that I'm unsure about um, in terms of how we relate and how we talk about this. I want to know more. In fact, here's a great book. I just want to recommend that everybody get this book. It's called Wash and Waiting. It's written by a guy named Wesley Hill. And he is a, uh, a homosexual man who is a believer in Jesus, who wants to obey Jesus and honor Jesus, has chosen to live a celibate life, but he, uh, he still has um, sexual desires for men. And he's living in that world. And this is a very eye-opening, very helpful book in understanding uh, what it's like to be in his situation. Maybe, uh, maybe you're here today and you, and you have gay or lesbian desires and you feel very alone and very isolated, I think this will be a helpful resource for you. First of all, I hope that if you do, if you do belong here, you are here, I hope that you can be, uh, find someone that you can be honest with because I think community is so huge. But um, this book is really helpful. And if, or if you're not, uh, if you don't have those desires, it's, it's amazingly helpful because it will give you lots and lots of insight. Because I, I would say, if I say anything today, I would say that the church needs to play catch up in its level of compassion and understanding and grace and mercy. 